Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation on the biggest stories out of the Vatican. The Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors held their first official meeting with Pope Francis following Father Hans Zollner's resignation. The Pontifical Council for the Protection of Minors had its first meeting since the shocking resignation of abuse expert Hans Zollner. We'll give you the latest on how the council is addressing some of the problems that led Father Zollner to quit. Pope Francis said that the Vatican is working on a secret mission to stop the war between Russia and Ukraine. He gave few details, but indicated more information would be given once the mission was completed. This week, more on Pope Francis's secret peace mission to Ukraine. Jerry spent the week meeting with Vatican sources. We'll tell you what he learned. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny Rome, Colleen. <laughs> so good to hear that again. Jerry, what's going on in Rome right now? Well, lots of things. Earlier, we had the press conference about the Jubilee year 2025, which will start in December 2024. And then we're going to have a reception at the British Embassy to the Holy See for the coronation of King Charles. Mm-hmm. The coronation that happened last Saturday, as our listeners are certain to have known, and it was an extraordinary event for the first time since the Reformation. A Catholic prelate, the Cardinal Nichols of Westminster, was present at the coronation ceremony and invoked the blessing with other church leaders on the new king. That's right. This has never happened before. The last time in the coronation of Queen Elizabeth in 1953, mm-hmm. the Vatican Nuncio was outside the abbey, not inside. Oh, wow. So this really shows the advances that have been made in ecumenism in this last half century. Yeah, certainly. All right, Jerry, let's get into our stories for this week. First up, the Pontifical Council for the Protection of Minors had its first meeting since Jesuit Father Hans Zollner's resignation. He said that he resigned over issues that needed to be addressed that made it impossible for him to continue working on the commission. So Jerry, you and Ricardo explained some of this on the show a few weeks ago, but before we get into the latest developments, let's just recap. What exactly does the Pontifical Council for the Protection of Minors, the PCPM, do? Well, this was a body set up by Pope Francis in early 2014. So right at the beginning. Yes, it was announced in December 2013. Francis was very conscious that the abuse scandal, the abuse question was an issue that would be central to his ministry in these years. And so he set up this commission, and it was quite an extraordinary commission, first of all, because 
It had almost the same number of men and women on the commission. And it had victims of abuse, survivors on the commission. Mm -hmm. Those two elements have been a constant of the commission over these past 10 years. And so what was their mandate? Their mandate was, first of all, to advise the Pope on how to face this crisis in the church. It was to also advocate for ways of helping the victims. Mm -hmm. It was made very clear from the beginning that they were not to deal with individual cases. Right. So people were not to come with their case to the members of the commission to help resolve it. They were an advisory. They were also given the task of helping to raise awareness throughout the church of the need to address this crisis in a proper way. They made many suggestions to the Pope. And uh, one of the suggestions, I think, but also made by other people, was to bring together the presidents of the bishops' conferences. Mm -hmm. And Francis did that in February 2019. Mm -hmm. And I think you were... You, I was there with you, covering it, yeah. You arrived in Rome on that mm -hmm. period. And this was a major event because it showed that, you know, some in the Vatican up to then had thought, you know, the problem of abuse is an Anglophone world problem. Right. And as we know, that's not true. So this this meeting was a really big deal because it forced all these bishops to get together and to sit down and to listen to survivors from around the world. And so that they had to recognize that this was an issue no matter where you live. It's not just an Anglophone problem. Now, my understanding is also that the PCPM has done a lot of training on safeguarding, right? This has been a really major contribution from the commission. People like Cardinal O'Malley, the president, Father Hans Ullner, the Jesuit, people like Marie Collins, they went to many places explaining to the bishops' conferences, to the local people in the safeguarding commissions, what needed to be done. They also engaged in, let's say, educating and training people in the Roman Curia and new bishops, people who had been made new bishops and come to Rome each September for a training course. This became an essential part of their training. And as with most of Pope Francis's priority missions, it's had a share of challenges and even opposition. You mentioned Marie Collins earlier. She's an abuse survivor who was on this commission. She's a very vocal advocate for victims. And she actually resigned from the commission in 2017, saying that they were facing resistance and reluctance and a lack of cooperation. And now Father Zillner joins her as another high-profile departure, saying that he left because there wasn't enough financial accountability, there wasn't enough clarity about how members were chosen and what their responsibilities were. He said there wasn't enough communication with members about how decisions were made and that it was never clarified even a year after the PCPM, the commission was incorporated into the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, how it was supposed to relate to the DDF. That's a little bit complicated, but let's talk through first. What do you take away from the fact that we've had these high profile resignations? The fact that Cardinal O'Malley is the only original member left on the commission? Yes, we, we've had many members over these years. We've had people of really highly qualified professions. You've had an English baroness and a top person in psychotherapist world. You've had uh, a judge from Australia. You've had top class lawyers. You've had people who've been heads of safeguarding commissions in their own countries. And you've had victims. You mentioned Marie Collins from Ireland, who was abused at the age of 14 when she was in hospital. And you had Juan Carlos Cruz, now the Chilean, foremost Chilean victim. 
and, and their presence is essential and gives credibility to the commission because it's not just people outside the problem who are talking, but people who've experienced in their own flesh the real suffering that comes with the abuse. So what do you make of them leaving? Well, there have been problems in the commission. Nobody, uh, Maria Collins re resigned because she felt that there was resistance in the Vatican at high levels, and she was right. Mm -hmm. Here was a body that was unlike any other commission had been, that had been set up. It was an unknown element in the Vatican system. It wasn't part of the Roman Curia. It was independent, but it was telling the Roman Curia, or trying to tell the Roman Curia, what should be done. And this was something that hadn't happened before. So she resigned because she, she felt there was resistance. Yeah, let's explain this for a second. So the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, formerly the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, is the body that in part is responsible for seeing abuse cases through and deciding on punishments for these abuse cases. But now this independent advisory commission has been brought in under the auspices of the DDF. And there are a lot of questions there about how independent it really is now and also how it's supposed to work together with this group that is trying the cases. I've spoken to many people now in Rome and uh, people say it is not clear why this commission is in this particular part of the Roman Curia. And we should mention, it was moved into there as part of Pope Francis's reform of the Roman Curia last summer. So clearly Pope Francis thought that, that making this move was part of the solution. Well, Pope Francis felt he was reforming the whole of the Roman Curia and a lot of the Holy See. And he, he, he didn't want kind of satellites way out in space that were not kind of linked to the Curia in some ways. But whether that was the correct location, obviously, so some people told him this was the best way. And obviously some others disagree. The absence of clarity in the different roles is what causes the confusion. And this was one of Hans Zellner's problems. He said, if we're, if we're not clear about our roles, if we don't have clear instructions about what we're supposed to do, uh, how can we really do good work for the victims? So these were some of the questions that the commission was facing when they went into their recent meeting. What came out of this meeting? Did the commission do anything to face down these important questions? Well, we don't know exactly what happened in the meeting. There's a press release that came out after it. We do know that they met the Pope. I, I reported on this. Uh, uh, but what was interesting also, in the past meetings, the Pope has tended to take questions there was no question and answer in this meeting. Why? I, I don't know. But the Pope was surely aware that uh, questions have been raised. I mean, he knew of Hans Zollner's uh, resignation because Hans had a meeting with him in January. Let's talk about what else came out of the meeting. First of all, the Pope asked them to carry out the audit. He'd asked them a year ago, but he wants them to really kind of act as, in a way, overseer of how the different dioceses around the world, we must be talking maybe about 5,000, are in fact implementing the instructions like the one in Vos Estes, you are the light of the world. Uh, that, that's really laying out very clearly what has to be done if an allegation of abuse is made known. You cannot ignore it. And if you ignore it, you're going to be held responsible for covering up or not dealing with. 
Yeah, a big part of Vosestis was making sure that there are systems in place in every diocese for reporting abuse, for hearing victims, and and then for safeguarding. And so part of the PCPM's mission is to carry out an audit of all the dioceses to make sure that those structures are in place. Yes, exactly. So this is one thing, the question of the audit, and this is a task for the commission, and it's a big task. Because what do you do? Do you send a questionnaire or do you have other ways of monitoring what is happening in the different places? You said it's a, a really big task. How many people are on this commission? Well, that is, we haven't seen the list yet. It was meant to be made available. But I understand that there are at least 10 on the commission, but the, the commission has now got new members, employees. Secondly, many of these dices are poor I mean, there's some places they don't have electricity. So kind of Zoom conferences. Are, some places, maybe they have one trained canon lawyer who has to do with so many things. And you need a canon lawyer in this field. So it could be human resources problem, uh, financial problem, structure problem. So the, the dioceses are meant to have structures for the receiving of complaints and somebody who's going to follow up on it. So it, it's, it's not a simple task. So one of the things that was announced out of this meeting was the creation of a new fund that takes contributions from bishops' conferences in order to help build up these capacity building programs, is what they were called, in poorer places. The Pope had a, a really strong quote in his speech to the PCPM where he said, it's not right that wealthier nations should be able to address the question of abuse in a way that poorer nations can't. Yes, I, I think this is a real concern of the Pope. But this funding being received, the Italian Catholic Bishops' Conference have given a lot of money, but also a, a foundation in the United States. Uh, and this is to help capacity building. What does that mean? to help set up structures, to facilitate, maybe to help pay for local staff, etc. But some media have interpreted it as that it's going to provide funding for the victims. That's a misinterpretation of the, of the message. And so there are many big tasks here. And as you ask me, you know, what number of people? Even if you have 20, I think they have a number of experts in, in regions now which will get funding for some years from this outside funding. So they will be paid. But in a way, is it a drop in the ocean? It's, it's, it's a small factor in a, facing a big problem. And it doesn't address the questions that were raised by people like Marie Collins and now Hans Solner about kind of the, the dysfunction and the way that this group operates. So I wonder what it will take for them to actually address those issues and, and sort out the way that they're meant to operate. Well, it's interesting. The Pope did not address the problems as such. He encouraged the commission and said, you know, you have to give hope to people where things are broken. You have to try and help them to put their lives together. Uh, so it was a message of encouragement to the commission rather than looking at the individual problems that have been pointed out now. Obviously, a certain amount of internal reflection has to go on, and maybe they have to get other input to see how the commission can function better, because th this is one of the showpieces of the pontificate. Yeah, I mean, this this has been around for 10 years. It almost perfectly maps Pope Francis's 10 years. And so it's we know that it's going to be a really important part of his legacy and that it was a really important part of his mandate, what he was elected as Pope to do. 
the commission needs to get back into shape and running even better than before. And how that happens, we'll have to watch and see. All right, Jerry, you and I are going to take a break. And when we come back, we will talk about Pope Francis's secret peace mission to Ukraine and what you've been able to learn about that. Listeners, stay with us. Last week, we covered Pope Francis's opaque comment that he was working on a mission for peace in Ukraine, but that there were no details yet. Jerry, you've spent the last week talking with Vatican sources to get more information on this story. What have you learned so far? Well, first of all, it's a work in progress, and a lot of people don't know too much. But what is clear is that right from the beginning of the war, Francis was determined to do everything he could to stop it. And it seems to me, from what I've learned, and also comments made by Cardinal Parolin, that step one of the Pope's initiative is to get a ceasefire. Okay. That comes out clearly from what Cardinal Parolin said when media reported from Moscow and Kiev that the respective presidential circles said they knew nothing about it. Right, yeah. Pope Francis said that there was this secret peace mission underway to Russia and Ukraine, and then the Kremlin said, we don't know anything about it, and Ukraine said, we don't know anything about it. So now Cardinal Parolin says they were lying. Yes, Cardinal Parolin expressed surprise at the denials coming from Kiev and Moscow. He said they were both informed. But obviously, when he said this on the 3rd of May, That's the Wednesday after the Pope returned from Budapest. On the 4th, the spokesman for the Kremlin said, well, we know the Pope is keen on peace, but we've not seen any detailed plan. So he he was moving from his denial to saying, we haven't got seen a detailed plan. So it seemed to me that was a step back. CNN reported that Ukraine had said, we're not aware of it, that President Zelensky hasn't authorized anybody to negotiate or work on a peace plan. Got it. That that too could be true. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you have to read what is not said in the denial. And secondly, there are very good reasons why they would want to deny. Okay. Walk me through that. Ukraine wants to regain its territory. It does not want to discuss peace until that has happened. President Zelensky has stated very clearly, we will discuss peace if Russia pulls back its troops from our territory. Moscow, for its side, doesn't want to discuss peace because it needs to block the Ukrainian offensive and it needs to gain a little more territory because it's not really in control of all the territory it claims it has got. Got it. So Pope Francis wants a ceasefire, but neither side is willing to to talk about that yet. At the moment, neither side is willing to talk about a ceasefire. So Jerry, let me ask you a pretty basic question here about the mission. You mentioned that the Kremlin spokesman said, you know, we know that Pope Francis is keen on making peace. Is this mission any more than just Pope Francis being keen on peace and wanting a ceasefire in order to bring both sides to the table? There is definitely a push by the Pope in some way on both governments, but possibly also wider, you know, 
because he will need the support of other governments to stop the killing, to stop the fighting. Right. Get a ceasefire, then talk. That's step one. And then step two will then move to peace negotiations, which could be long, complex, etc., because of, you know, territorial question. Mm-hmm. So it could be months before we see anything come out of this because even that initial will for a ceasefire isn't there. But as we've talked about, the Pope is doing his best through channels we know about and also probably channels that we don't know about to try to get the will for a ceasefire to be there. And I would put it this way, that Francis is in for the long haul and he doesn't expect results tomorrow or the next day. But he's determined to pull out all the stops diplomatically and outside the diplomacy to get the war ended. One thing that has gotten some attention in the news recently is what exactly it means for the Pope to be advocating for peace in this war. You mentioned earlier that Ukraine doesn't want to talk about peace until it has its territory back. Russia doesn't want to talk about peace until it's gained even more territory So for the Vatican, what does peace mean? Well, you remember some months back when I talked to Archbishop Gallagher, I think it was maybe in July when he came back from the Munich Security Conference, where many of the big players were present. I asked him, what does the Holy See support? What do they want? And he said, a just peace. And I asked him, well, what do you mean by a just peace? And he said, the withdrawal of Russia from Ukrainian territory. A just peace, a withdrawal of troops from Ukraine, so maybe not necessarily Ukraine giving up land. I I quote what he said, and it seemed to me pretty clear, that if the Russians withdraw their troops from Ukrainian territory, Ukraine gets back its land. Francis fundamentally believes in the power of prayer. In the interview with Elizabeth, my wife, on March the 10th, he said he wouldn't go to Kiev without going to Moscow. And she said, well, you know, you can't go to Moscow. They don't want you. It's impossible. And he said, no, it's not impossible. He believes that what looks impossible today may, with God's help, be different tomorrow. He keeps all the time telling people every Sunday, every weekly audience, more than 120 times he has said it now in these 430 days of war. He says, remember the martyred Ukraine, pray for the people and pray for peace. He, he keeps encouraging, appealing to people, pray, pray, pray. And last Sunday he mentioned that uh, this is the month of May, that people are praying the rosary. And he said, pray for peace and that God may enlighten the leaders to move in that direction. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things I appreciate about doing this show for uh, a Catholic media outlet is that we we can acknowledge that that is also part of the story, right? That that things can change and that prayer actually is a thing that can have an effect. So Jerry, thank you for talking with me about this story, about your reporting on this secret peace mission, and also about the challenges that are facing the Pontifical Council for the Protection of Minors. All of these are uh, important ways that the Pope and also the, the larger church are trying to affect positive change in, in the world and within the church. So thanks. Thank you, Colin. 
One more story before we go. Plans are underway at the Vatican to celebrate the 2025 Jubilee year, which will once again see the ceremonial opening of the Holy Door in St. Peter's Basilica, like happened in 2015 in the Year of Mercy. This is a symbol of the Church's mercy and welcome. So we know that the Vatican is expecting a ton of people coming as pilgrims for this Jubilee year, and there will be a lot more information forthcoming. You can find a link to a story in our show notes about what we know so far about the 2025 Jubilee year. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Ricardo da Silva. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Christabel Spielman. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also find me on Twitter at Colleen Dully, that's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-D-U-L-L-E, and Jerry at Jerry O. Rome, that's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to American Media. Just click on the link in our show notes. It's really easy to do, and it is the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. Thanks. And if you have a little time to spare after you subscribe, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.